Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And in the second series of the podcast, we're focusing on joy superpowers, special powers each and every one of us can cultivate in order to navigate the turbulent times in which we live. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. In each episode, I'll be inviting our guests to share their words of wisdom on a specific joy superpower. And in this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Patrick Aylward, and together we're going to be exploring the joy superpower of collaboration. Patrick used to be a courtroom lawyer and a meditator and a mediator, not a meditator, although he might be a meditator too, we'll find out soon enough. And now is an author on a mission to change the world by creating a global culture of collaboration. His book, The Collaborative Path, introduces a collaborative model to replace the generally used debate format. The model provides an easy to learn and easy to use six step process to change the leadership conversation. Patrick lives in Prince Edward Island, Canada's smallest province, where he's working on a follow-up book, The Collaborator's Toolbox, that will contain tools for everyday use so that people can strengthen their collaborative skills. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Pleased to be here. Thrilled to be here, Andrew. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. It's lovely to have you here, and I'm so much looking forward to talking to you on a topic which is very dear to my own heart. So... Patrick, I'd like to kick us off by asking you, at what point in your own life did you start to see the power of collaboration? I was working on a project, and there was a lot of friction between two different groups. The manager and I were talking about it, and I said, well, you know what? I could just do a mini mediation mini conflict resolution process with them and bring the groups together, sort this out. She said, oh my God, you can't, can't mention the word collaboration. The, the boss hates it. Or sorry, the word conflict, the boss hates it. Mm. And so I said, okay, so what if we called it mediation? Well, no, that's no better. Say, what if we called it a collaborative problem solving conversation? She said, oh, he'll love that. And it was at that point, Andrew, that I realized that conflict has such a huge stigma attached mm -hmm. to it. That's why people don't use conflict resolution. And the, so that was part one. Part two was I realized at some point, I, I'm not really sure when, that when people get into a dispute, and they argue and they cajole and they threaten and then they litigate and then three or five years later they figure out maybe we should try mediation which is a collaborative process hmm. there isn't anything that they did five years down the road when they address the whole situation and resolve it in a day that they couldn't have done five years earlier and that's when i wow. thought wow, if we just change the conversation to a collaborative one from the outset, what a difference that would make. You wouldn't have to go and through the whole song and dance. Exactly. Yeah. Five years of grief. Right, so I like that. I like speeding up the hmm. process and then you're saying that people actually avoid a conflict resolution process because they're avoiding the word conflict. They're, yes, they avoid using conflict resolution processes because of the stigma attached to conflict. And if they just change the conversation from a debate style one at the start, when they first notices, noticed differences, they would prevent conflict by changing the conversation before conflict ever began. Yeah, that's amazing. So let's talk a little about collaboration as opposed to competition, because this phrase collaboration not competition is one of my favorite phrases that you know it inspires me in my life these days and I think before we dive into the power of collaboration in relation to work specifically uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on on why you believe collaboration is so important in the world we're living in today 
That's obviously the world we're going to live in tomorrow. The world we live in today is probably more divisive than at any time in history. And we've had some really large periods of divisiveness, world mm -hmm. wars, and that kind of thing. In the past, though, Andrew, it seems to me that those were truly a we versus they. There were two positions, two groups. Nowadays, things are so complex. The body of information, the world knowledge has expanded so much. Diversity, because the world has become so globalized, has impacted things to such an extent that there's virtually nothing that is sortable anymore into a either and or box. Mm. Yet we still use either or thinking in order to address situations. And the world is just too multifaceted. It's, it's more so than it's ever been. And that's why a collaborative versus an adjudicative or debate-styled approach mm. is so essential to addressing situations these days. Right. It can more easily bring in multifaceted opinions, arguments, shades than this conflicting style of debate. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's drill down then to talk about collaboration in the business world. And, you know, research shows us that collaboration drives workplace performance. Um, I think that's clearly can be seen in a lot of research we've looked at. And, you know, do you personally feel that, you know, being part of a team, you know, where people are working on a task makes them more motivated as they take on challenges and perhaps inspires them with a stronger sense of purpose than they would do um, as individuals? That's a tough question. The, the sense of team, does the sense of team drive their performance or does a vision, a shared vision drive the sense of team? Mm. And then the uh, collaboration becomes a, a, an outgrowth of that. I think that for the most part, that whole sense of purpose comes largely from the idea of a strong vision at the leadership level. Yeah. And, and it's after that creation that the power of collaboration is able to harness the diversity within the group so as to make the team more effective. So I think it's a two-part thing, starting with vision and then using collaboration to harness diversity to pursue that vision to its fullest extent. Mm. Yeah, so obviously a strong leader defines a strong sense of purpose. And you're saying they can also then use collaborative tools to develop diversity and, and build a team with a diverse set of opinions. Are there any other skills you think um, a strong leader should have to, to drive collaboration successfully in their business? Interesting. I was posting on this the other day in LinkedIn, the whole idea that unless you have a spirit of curiosity as a leader, mm. it's very difficult to have the other things like empathy, like listening skills, and so on. <laughs> because if you've already made up your mind where everything, how everything is going to unfold, you really don't have any great need to learn or to engage others. You simply have to command because you know it all. Right. And that just doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't work very well uh, in, in today's knowledge type of economy that we're, that we're, that we're living in that, that fuels the world. Right. It doesn't mean just because you're the highest up in the organization that you have all the answers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, hire, you hire smart people so that they can tell you what to do, uh, I think is what Steve Jobs said, and mm. that makes a lot of sense. Still makes sense today, definitely. And, <laughs> and having that sense of curiosity will enable you to do that, for sure. 
a little bit of discussion on rewards because I know a lot of talent management systems, a lot of bonus systems are based upon individual achievement, not team accomplishments. I mean, okay, yeah, there's some component of the whole company and then it goes very quickly down to individual performance matrix in, in many situations. And, and several studies have found out that we tend not to collaborate when there is little incentive to do so. So do you agree that a, a lack of incentive for an award might represent a barrier to effective collaboration or vice versa if we could create a good reward incentive scheme with that fuel collaboration? Hmm. Bill Shearhart, the former national development coach for uh, Curl Canada, had this expression about leadership. He said, if your success depends upon someone else, then you're a leader. And if the individual bonus depends really, as it does, upon others, because no one earns that entirely by themselves, then leadership comes into play. If collaboration is what I've defined it to be, that is the dual pursuit of the best solutions to situations and the strongest relationship among participants, then collaboration enhances the opportunity for everyone to maximize their incentive and reward. And so I think that even though the reward system seems to be individually based, that collaboration really assists everybody to profit from their interaction. Whereas the debate style really doesn't, it mm -hmm. will tend to limit things to pretty narrow options. Now, I have this expression that when we, we narrow our options early, which is essential to a debate, you can't have a debate unless there's two sides and you have to identify them early in order to do that. Well, anytime we narrow our options early, we narrow our minds forever because no other options ever occur. And so the, the chances of finding better solutions rests with avoiding debate and avoiding early identification of issues. So collaboration really enhances the ability for everybody, the opportunity and the potential for everybody to profit from their joint work more so than they ever could have as individuals, including the reward system. Yeah. So if I understand correctly, you would sort of argue that it should be enough if you have a strong leadership um, with the vision, the, the curiosity, and they put in place the processes, that that should be enough to enable the individuals to benefit from the power of collaboration without actually having to adjust the reward system to include a metric on collaboration. Yeah, I, th I think so. That will be an interesting thing to see unfold mm. as collaboration takes a greater grip in the workplace. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see how HR works with that, right? How are they going to adjust? Are they going to adjust? Do they need to adjust? Or can they keep the same reward system and simply leverage collaboration so that it becomes available to more? Yeah. Well, hopefully enough of them do change the metrics and put in some good collaboration metrics in there so we can have a look at the data and see is mm. there uh, an impact and let the researchers look at this and, and start evaluating to see whether that actual changing the incentive has an impact or not, as well as the collaboration tools. Can you just step back one little moment and give us that definition of collaboration again that you used? Because I thought that was very nice. and I'd like our listeners to hear that again. Happy to. Collaboration is the deliberate pursuit of dual outcomes, better solutions to situations and stronger relationships among the participants. Excellent, excellent. And, and what type of advantages do you see in the workplace from this type of collaborations you describe it? 
ooh, the virtual, the virtual office is, has become a real hotbed for conflict. Mm. And, and we are going to move to some sort of new normal. And so that's going to continue as long as we continue to use debate as our basic model of interaction. So for the workplace, the advantages of collaboration is that it tempers, a collaborative approach tempers the task-oriented only nature of the virtual workplace. Mm. If, we, if you and I are colleagues, we're not, we, do, we don't have any more, and we're in a virtual office, we don't have a water cooler conversation. We don't have a lunchroom conversation. We We aren't for a coffee, so there is a chip element to a Zoom meeting, right? Our interaction at that point is purely task-oriented. Now, if we're in a regular office and we're interacting, and let's say, you know, I raise three different ideas, and in the team meeting, you shoot all of them down. In the, in the regular office, we can talk about that afterward. And we can still engage on a relationship level. When that happens in a Zoom meeting, that, re that relationship element is entirely gone. And so that's why we're seeing so much tension rising and mm -hmm. conflict in the virtual office. The, the idea of a collaborative approach would be that we are building the best solution and we're strengthening relationships among participants at the same time. And so when we're having those conversations, we're having them in a different way. It might still be that my ideas aren't the best ones mm. and you have better ones. We reach them though. We, we reach uh, the idea of which are the best ones in a different process that a ensures that we are selecting the best ones and B ensures that we are strengthening our working relationship as well. That's what's missing in the virtual office and the zoom meeting format that is being used these days. Yeah, it certainly is a challenge. Um, I'm very familiar with myself um, doing a lot of virtual meetings with team meetings and trying to address those concerns to ensure that the relationship element is dealt with in an effective way. Um, and I know that many managers struggle with that and they tend to move towards a more management style rather than a leadership style because it's easier in this environment to put in harder metrics and to just, you know, crack the whip a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, but it's counterproductive at the end of the day especially if you're not going to see that person face to face for a while. So yeah, you can crack the whip and go, well, they'll get over it before we meet again. Right. They don't. <laughs> and I know many, you know, I've talked to managers who, you know, now have new people on their team for over a year that they haven't met personally. Mm-hmm. That's quite a phenomenon, isn't it? In the workplace, the impacts of that are far greater than most people ever would have thought they would be. Yeah, and it still comes back, Andrew, to that whole idea that we're still using a debate model that we've been using since the days of Socrates. Mm. You know, it started out for decision-making and problem-solving. It's what we use for everyday human interaction. And that's why we hear the word but or however in the first five words of most back and forth exchanges. We're still debating, but we've adopted it now into everyday ordinary conversations. Correct, and uh, changing that but no into a yes and is- Yes and. Is a good- Or even a no and. <laughs> hmm. Exactly, exactly. So we can see, you know, there are these huge advantages to taking on this collaborative approach but I'm sure you've seen, obviously, in your work here that there are challenges as well related to 
collaboration and, and what are you seeing as the main challenges organizations can face as they they try and build a different style a different approach to decision making the, the the most common thing that we hear is that it takes too long to collaborate we could have just made that decision quicker you know I uh, forget, uh, Hankman, I think, said for every complex problem, there's a simple solution and it's always wrong or something like that. That's what happens when we do that jump to the quick solution piece. So time is, is thought to be uh, a big barrier. And in reality, it's a very, very small uh, incremental increase in time that's, that's required to be collaborative versus uh, adjudicative, which is really what I've labeled the uh, the debate style model in my book. That's one. Other people uh, worry about, well, what about trust? What if, how can we collaborate if there's no trust? Truth is, I've never done a mediation where there was trust at the outset. Good faith, one person always thought, actually each person always thinks, they're acting in good faith and they doubt that of the other. The object of collaboration of a collaborative model is to build mutual understanding. And in a lot of ways, mutual understanding is more valuable than trust. So that's, so that's one piece, that, that whole idea, do we need trust? No, you don't need trust to be collaborative. Then people complain about or they worry about what if that person agrees, how do I know they're going to follow through on what they said? The advantage of the collaborative model is that people follow through because they agreed to something because it worked for them, not for the other person. It just happens to work for the other person too. So if I agree to do something for you because it works for me, you don't have to worry about my compliance. I'm complying because it works for me. Hmm. And then the last one would be the hard bargainer, I suppose. What do you do? You know, how do you how do you collaborate with that really, you know, all my way or nothing kind of person? And the answer to that really is that it doesn't always work. Hmm. Nor does anything else always work. It, it is worth the shot, though, to at least start from that and then go to a harder position if you have to versus starting from the hard position and getting locked in and never being able to deal with that hard bargainer. Because you're not going to be able to go back once you started down that road. Right? You're, you're going to yeah. have to yeah. then you're, then call it, the bluff, then it seems to them that Yeah, they're calling the bluff and you're caving at that point. So that doesn't, you're better off to start on the collaborative one and then see if that works. If that doesn't work, and it's very seldom that it doesn't work, mm. then you can switch to the other if you have to. Yeah, so we have this trust, not so much neutral understanding. Um, definitely, I think you talked about the importance of of that and I see you know one of the wonders in teams is when teams are diverse and bring in different opinions different backgrounds different cultures into into a decision making environment one of the challenges perhaps in that type of team is that that mutual understanding is harder to achieve when the perspectives the backgrounds the cultures the languages the, the history the people is, is different. So do you think, is it worth spending time trying to, to build that, that understanding amongst the team before diving in to straight into the collaboration that needs to be done to solve particular decisions or can you circumvent it? I don't think that circumventing it works very well. The value of diversity for its contribution to ingenuity and in innovation is well established in a variety in a variety of sources, but certainly just the one that comes right to my head is Doug Hall's Eureka Ranch, and an innovative or an innovation kind of um, incubator. 
so the value of diversity, I think, is, isn't doubted. So the question is, how do you harness it? And there's two pieces to this. I think step one of the collaborative model, that is to set the parameters for the conversation, does a lot of the, of the heavy lifting in, in that regard for diverse groups. So in set parameters, what we're really doing is saying, how are we going to talk about what we're going to talk about in order to have a productive conversation today? Mm. And that in and of itself is probably going to, in a diverse group, somebody is going to likely say, I think it's important that we respect and value the, 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 variety, the diversity that we have in the room. That in and of itself creates that atmosphere. And that really is the whole point of step one, set parameters is to create an atmosphere of safety and inclusiveness in the room mm. so that the conversation can be full and productive. Right. And the more often you do it, I presume there becomes an efficiency to collaboration as well, which helps that speeding up the process that was perhaps mentioned sometimes as a, a disadvantage of collaboration. I presume through practice, the team can become better and better at getting straight into the issue more quickly. Yeah, they do because they've reset then the norm for the conversation. It's moved away from we and they and somebody getting on their soapbox to uh, how do we get the best out of everybody in the room? Right. So I presume you count the times the, the word we is used as opposed to I and you <laughs> and can measure in that way the degree to which the collaboration amongst that team is improving over time. Probably true. You probably could do that. That's the researcher in me speaking. Sorry about that. Indeed. <laughs> so let's talk about your own book, The Collaborative Path. I love the title. Um, excellent choice. Well done. And, you know, collaboration can be a powerful tool for jointly solving problems or constructively managing conflicts, you say, um, I think, in the introduction to the book. And so two observations that drove you to write the book we mentioned. One was the powerful stigma that exists about the word conflict. And the other one was that you mentioned that people don't collaborate even when they say they do. So there's sort of a faking it element to this. So let's dive a bit deeper into this relationship between collaboration and conflict. And is it actually easier to solve conflicts when we collaborate? Or you know, do we somehow avoid conflicts and thus we don't collaborate? So, yeah, as I've defined, I've defined conflict in its essence as problem plus tension. So you and I can have a disagreement. And unless we become really agitated about it, it's just different views of how we're going to solve the problem. And we don't see each other as the problem. It becomes conflict when that element of tension enters into it. So conflict equals problem plus tension. Collaboration equals better solutions and stronger relationships. So these two concepts are inversely proportional. The more you have of collaboration, by definition, the less you have of conflict. And so when you engage in a collaborative process, you're preventing conflict before it begins. That, that really becomes the essence of it. And we... Conflict, uh, sorry, collaboration has become pretty much a buzzword. In Canada, we can't listen to an interview of any politician, and we have an election on right now, without, <laughs> without hearing the word collaboration in a five-minute interview. Mm. So everybody uses the word. Very few understand what it really means. Most of the time, what they really mean is, I'm going to debate cooperatively <laughs> and I'm going to be gently judgmental about your ideas and I'm going to call that collaboration 
which is entirely, entirely off base. So that, and it's not really, I wouldn't say so much that it's that they're faking it so much as that they just don't understand it. It's, it's a word that they, that sounds good. It makes a nice sound bite. We're going to be collaborative. And often the people who use it are the least collaborative people of all. That is often the way, perhaps, especially in the world of politics, although we won't go down <laughs> that road. So I'm going to ask you one more time to define effective collaboration. Ah, effective collaboration. I would start by saying that the word effective is redundant. If it's collaboration, uh, using the model that I've laid out in the book, then it is, it is effective. And it, with that proviso that nothing works 100% Correct. of the time. Yeah. But apart, apart from that, yeah, it's, it, is, it is effective and it builds better solutions to situations because it incorporates in a multitude of perspectives. If mm -hmm. a multitude of perspectives are present, if that level of diversity is there and it harnesses the best of it, and it builds a comprehensive type of solution to a situation. In doing so, because it is inclusive and it harnesses the wisdom of a group, um, then it, it at the same time builds mutual understanding and therefore strengthens relationships among the problem solvers. And that's really what, you, what we want to get to, as opposed to the debate style where the first thing you do is narrow a situation down to two options and then you argue pros and cons and you evaluate every thought as it arises and that creates a great deal of divisiveness can't help but do that did you talking of that did you actually read the book the the wisdom of the crowd no I, the wisdom of the crowd no i haven't actually okay yeah, it's, it's a fantastic book, and I'm going to try it here, and I'm going to pause the, pause the podcast for a moment while sure. I <laughs> find the author. All right, whoever's going to edit this on my team, you can cut a little bit out of the podcast here. <laughs> so have you ever read the book The Wisdom of the Crowd by an author called James Sarawecki in 2004? Hmm. No, that's not a book that I'm familiar with. Okay, well, put it on your list, Patrick. It's a, it's a wonderful little book which talks about this subject in, in different ways about how diverse teams in particular can collaborate to solve all types of problems. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful, I think, book precursor to, to what you go into in your book in terms of actually then, okay, telling people how it can be done. So I think they, they're a nice couple of books that go together. Um, people can Thank look you. out for that. And I know in your, your book, you're focused on this six-step approach to uh, effective or collaboration, as you call it. And I know we don't have time to obviously read through your whole book in this podcast here today, and we want people to, to go out and get the book. But could you just give a brief oversight of those steps um, that people can take towards this um, process of collaboration. Sure, be happy to. So step one, we've talked about a bit, set parameters. That is, how are we going to talk about what we're going to talk about before we actually talk about it? The objective of it is to create an atmosphere of safety and to lower any sense of defensiveness. Step two is to exchange perspectives. That is, instead of like in a debate where one speaks and then the other rebuts, each simply shares, this is how I see the situation. And this is what I'm experiencing as the impact of it. Hmm. And because it's not a debate style, it really doesn't matter who goes first. What each says is going to be the same regardless. The whole idea of that step is to hear and to be heard. 
because you're not rebutting the other person, you can actually listen to learn as opposed to listen to respond. So that that's, gives you the opportunity to hear the other person. And because the other person is in fact listening to learn, then you are being heard if you're the person speaking. Mm. And that's the objective of that one, of that step. The third step is to describe the issue. And when we're describing the issue, what we're trying to do is describe it neutrally and broadly. Whereas in a debate, the issue is usually framed in such a way that it tilts. The question is tilted toward one of the two options that are, or sides that have been identified. And each will tilt it to their advantage. Here we're, we're, we're describing the issue neutrally and broadly so that both perspectives can fit underneath it and both have room to talk about, and if there's more than two, if there's several, mm. several have room to talk about what is important to them about, about it. So they have room to talk about their perspectives. And that creates inclusion in the problem solving. The fourth step is to identify interests. And what we're doing there is figuring out what is it that we want or want to avoid in a good solution. And what happens at step four is that we go away from the solution itself or the option itself and come back and go underneath that to what is it that's important to you about that? And we get to broader types of things that people want a solution to do for them. Mm. What happens just because of the way we are hardwired as human beings is that what we want when we're, if, when we're in a situation is highly likely to be compatible with what the other person wants or what others want. And so as people start to see that what they want, what they want to avoid have a level of compatibility, there's a growth in mutual understanding that happens at that phase. And that's really the objective of step four. It's really twofold, I suppose, to set the criteria that you're going to use later for selecting a solution. More importantly, though, it's to create that growth of, of mutual understanding mm -hmm. because it reconnects people. Step five is to generate options. And that's really asking, what could we do now or next or differently that would address the issue we described in step three in a way that gets us what we identified as what we want in step four. So that's the logic of it. That's entirely different than a debate uh, in two ways. One is in a debate, you never figure out what you want or what you want to avoid, and you never hear the other person's perspective before you decide what your take is on the situation. So you identify your options blindly and early yep. in a debate. In a collaborative model, you're identifying your options after you understand the other person's perspective and after you after you've figured out what you want and what you want to avoid. When you're generating those options, you do two things. The simple question is, um, it is like I said, right? You, you're, you're identifying options that get you what you want. So you now have a very clear purpose and an idea of what you want in your head. And then it's how do I achieve that? The second part of it is that there's no evaluation of ideas at that point. So mm -hmm. it's pure brainstorming. And the point of that is that early evaluation kills creativity. So when we take out that element from the generating of options, we encourage creativity. And then the last step is to select solutions. And what we're asking at that point really is what package of options that we just generated in step five address the issue in step that we described in step three in a way that gets us the most of what we want as a, as identified in step four. So that's where the inherent logic of the, of the model uh, flows. That's wonderful. Now I understand why you said the, the word effective is redundant. 
in this. <laughs> I can see how that process does lead you to finding effective solutions just by going through those steps. And I see when I listen to you that, that some companies are, are good at some of those processes and, and not so good at others. You know, I, I see many cases where they jump to, to step five if not straight to step, step six, but at least they go through the rounds of let's brainstorm uh, at stage five, at least to create some ideas. But without going through those those first four steps, I can see the, the risks involved in just sort of randomly going through generating brainstorming ideas without those other sense of there's a safe space where people can, you know, give their opinions and whether you have all the perspectives included in the discussion. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful path, a wonderful program that will help many people, not only in, in work, because when I'm talk, thinking, you know, listening to you, I also think this is, you know, applicable also to, to private life in, in many ways. And obviously your, your next book is probably going to dive deeper into to that subject and help people understand how they can apply collaborative thinking to their private as well as their work lives. And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to finishing it. <laughs> I've, I've broken it down into four sections, actually, uh, just to talk a little bit about the yeah, collaborator toolbox that's coming. So I looked at it, the, the journey from every growth journey has three or four parts. We start with ignorance and we move to awareness. So that's part one. So the tools in part one are about making that shift. Mm -hmm. So they help people to make that shift and they help people who are coaching people to make that shift. Part two is from awareness to experimentation. So once they become aware, yeah, debate does not serve us anymore. Collaboration is a better way. How do I start to move that way? And so it's baby step tools to enable people to start to incorporate collaborative elements into their conversations and lives. And step three of a journey of that growth journey is from experimentation to integration. And so these are a more advanced, yet still easy to learn, easy to use set of independent tools. And they're, they're probably more around groups and workplaces, the community church group, the community sport group, the small boardroom, small group, small team. It's those kinds of tools that allow people to start to really build a culture of collaboration within their organization. Mm. And the last piece, part four, is a workshop. So what I'm, what I'm planning to do is to remodel a workshop that I've used to teach everyday collaborative communication and conversation skills. And what I want to do is to provide that workshop available wow. free. It's just there. And what I wanted to do, Andrew, is to move away from the model that we see these days. The model we see these days seems to be write a book, develop exclusive training packages, provide a certificate for for attending that and then being able to use it. And what happens with that is that it's hard to have reach. Mm. It's hard to, you can't change, I can't change the world. I can't change the world. I can't create a global culture of collaboration if everybody who acquires collaborative skills has to go through a certificate program. Mm. We don't have a certificate program for two plus two equals four. I want the mm. collaborative model to be as integrated into everyday life as simple math is. And so what I want to do is to just make it available. It's there. And the other thing that happens is that in the prescriptive type of workshops and programs, the product never gets any better than the creator's version of it. Yep. Because you got to follow it exactly as I said to do it. Right. I'm not that good. I can think of five trainers 
just off the top of my head who could pick up that workshop and probably before they even delivered it once have ideas of how they could do it better than, than the way I did it mm. and be able to incorporate it into their style. So I want to give people a tool that they can just take and use. And I use the analogy of, of Microsoft and Linux. Mm. So, you know, Microsoft is a lockdown controlled code and Linux is user developed. So I, I, I like that other model where we can really spread it and spread it more rapidly. And you get the, the companies too, like that, that have their own in-house training teams. Mm. Do, you re do they really want to send 20 people off to get a certificate on how to teach, you know, spread co collaborative communication skills? Or do they, are they already such skilled trainers that all they need is give me the package in the model, show mm. me how you did it and let me work with it from there. Yeah. So my bet has done the latter. No, it's lovely. I mean, it's, it's obviously practicing what you preach, walking the, the walk, walking the talk, as they say. So, I mean, that is amazing that you'll open that as an open source type workshop that companies can take. And I'm also fascinated to see how those in the educational space can take it and, you know, even kindergarten upwards, how they can start integrating this approach as opposed to the debate approach into decision-making such kids and how parents can do it. There's lots of ways this could go. I'm super excited. There are. See how we go. There so, are, isn't it? It is. I'm already excited. I need the book. When's the deadline? When's it coming out? <laughs> oh, my God. I've gotten, I roughed out, uh, there's about 35 tools in parts one to three and then the workshop at the end. So I have the 35 tools, give or take, roughed out. And now it's a matter of, of modeling the workshop and then adding the, the graphics. And it's, I would love to see it by the spring. That would be my objective. All right. We will find out <laughs> and, and look forward to that. In the meantime, obviously, the collaborative path is available for people to get going and not just wait for that to come out. So we're coming towards the end of our, our chat today, Patrick. Before we go, a, a few final questions. One of those would be, you know, and we ask this of all our guests, that if you had to sort of just take three tips from all of the things you've mentioned today, what would those three things be? Conflict does not arise from differences. Opportunity does. Being collaborative is a choice. It's impossible to be judgmental and collaborative at the same time. It's essential to adopt a spirit of curiosity. I think those would be the three key things that I would want people to remember. Remember. That's excellent. I'm glad you got the curiosity in there because I would have named that as number four if you hadn't named it. So well done <laughs> for doing that. And for the people who are listening, who are interested in exploring the, the superpower of collaboration further, obviously, you know, they, we recommend they go ahead and read your book. But do you have any other thought leaders who perhaps you follow who you would recommend that they could also check out concerning collaboration? Paulette Dale, uh, Dr. Paulette Dale wrote the book, um, Did You Say Something, Susan? She uh, provides a great deal of material, very pragmatic stuff on setting boundaries, which is a great precursor to collaboration. Mm. That is, is certainly a big one. Marcus Buckingham's whole approach to management and leadership is very collaborative in in nature that that uh, book first break all the rules i think is a masterpiece mm. great thinking in that um william bridges and john cotter's change management and trans personal transition 
approaches uh, and models through change have a great deal of elements of collaboration within them. Those, in my mind, are probably key key elements or, or key pieces of um, of materials that we see out there these days that are aligned with collaboration. And I guess the, the very last, and, and I probably perhaps ought to have put this one higher really, is Dr. John Gottman's work. Mm. The Gottman Institute on Relationships um, is, is amazing research. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing those tips and those recommendations, Patrick. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy digging into those as well. And unfortunately, Patrick, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, and I'd like to thank you for coming on the show and sharing both your wisdom and your passion for the power of collaboration. So thank you, Patrick, so much for doing that. It's my pleasure. I'm honoured to be your guest on your podcast, Andrew. Well, you're more than welcome. And finally, before you go, one last question we'll always fit in as well is, and what that is, what Patrick brings you joy today? Uh, making a difference. Making a difference brings me joy. You know, in the grand scheme of things, once you're above the poverty line, there really isn't a correlation between impact, or sorry, income and happiness. And so making a greater impact is more important than making a greater income to me. Excellent. That impact is one of the four pillars of joy that we, we talk about in addition mm. to well-being, belonging, and fun. So glad you got the impact in definitely one of the keys to living a joy-filled life. So thanks once Indeed. again, Patrick. And I, I hope your listeners feel inspired and empowered by my little chat with Patrick today about the joy superpower of collaboration and how you can use it to not only add more joy to your own life, but to add more joy to the lives of others. And if you want to find out more about the work Patrick is doing and how it can benefit you, please visit his YouTube channel, which you can easily find by searching for collaborative paths. And you can also find out a lot more information about collaboration on his website, collaborativepath.ca and we encourage you to hop on social media and using the hashtag joy superpowers share your own experiences with the power of collaboration and if you don't already do so please follow the art and science of joy on instagram facebook and linkedin come and join in the conversation and help us spread the joy thanks once again for listening and i hope you tune in next week for the next episode of the art and science of joy podcast in the meantime Stay well and be joyful.